It's the only wrestling podcast on earth with the Freebird rules. We tag in in and out different hosts. Tonight, we have the two-time MLB All-Star, former Comeback Player of the Year, the head coach himself. That's Dimitri Young. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're looking at my shirt, it's a plane dropping F-bombs. Damn. <laughs> Boom. All right. Well, listen. He's the diva of the show. You don't look him in the eyes. He's the rock star. We're working on his time because we got to get done before the pizza man gets there from the band Rancid. That's Lars Fredrickson. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Two-time exhibition champion, the man behind the man behind the man, the guy who ripped off Amazing Red for the Canadian Destroyer. That's Petey William. How's she going, eh? <laughs> And I tell you what, guys, I am super excited. I am a huge fan of Dalton Castle. I, I I would consider it stalking at how much I tried to track him down to get him on this podcast. Uh, and finally, he agreed after a court order. Uh, I did take him to court. So, Dalton Castle, thank you for coming on the podcast. No problem. I thought it was strange when you were sending C's candies to my door and delivering them, too. So... <laughs> Not not safe to do during COVID times, Dennis. But uh, thanks thanks for the effort. Desperate. Hey, was Dennis wearing uh, one of the boys' outfits? <laughs> That's how he snuck in. I I let my guard down. <laughs> he walked in with a mask and a feather fan. You think that you know he'd show up in that outfit in that shape that he's in, and you know what I mean? You would be able to <laughs> first of all, in his defense, the budget for the boys have gone down, so he has to. <laughs> Parameters have changed a little bit, so out of shape, pasty white guys are allowed part of the boys now. Got it. So I'm very thankful. Hey Dalton Dennis, we're gonna we're gonna make this quick, right? Because I'm fostering some alpacas, and I got I got some stuff I got to take care of them before they go to bed. No, no. Uh, listen, I'm gonna start the questioning it off. Enough of this dumb banter. Let me start with this. You've been part of Ring of Honor since God knows how long. You were there during the transition, and. And we even talked to Matt Taven about this, about you guys became the face of the company after the mass exodus of talent. How much pressure for you was was on your shoulders? Because you had this look, this gimmick that just I, I, I was a huge fan of. I love that whole glam rock thing. You pulled it off phenomenally. And, and then you're now thrust to the forefront of the company, which, I mean, in 2017, when you beat Cody for the championship, you were kind of already there. But now you and this, this young group of guys have to carry the load of Ring of Honor on your shoulders after these guys leave. Was there pressure on you? Well, I wouldn't say there's a lot of there was pressure. I mean, I knew that was my our chance to step up and I was kind of getting primed for it to begin with because a year prior they had put the the world title on me which was very exciting and uh kind of i, I assume to see like if this will be okay but while we we're leading into it wow i can't talk uh while we were uh approaching the moment where we knew we were going to leave uh lose a bunch of guys um everyone started getting worried but not me or a bunch of the people who have been around for a while because this wasn't something we haven't haven't seen before. Yeah, we were we were losing some core members that we all cared about and, and we're gonna miss and were really, really helping us a lot. But we lost groups of people before. We just maybe a year or two prior, we lost Red Dragon and uh Adam Cole and Roderick Song all in like one swoop. And we uh we survived that. So I knew we were gonna be fine. 
So what what I want to know, going back to you know you beating Cody for for the ROH champion, beat him real good too, Petey. Yep. So put him I, down. <laughs> absolutely, made uh, him bleed. Was there blood? Yeah, it was like a Gallagher concert. The front row had, <laughs> had a sh- plastic sheet over their face. That's great. I I, I guess I got to well, watch this. It. Yeah, that's what I was gonna do. What <laughs> when so. Not a scratch up, on me, though. No, I mean that's how you got to win titles, right? What? When did you know um, you were gonna get the the title? Like, I know my story. Like, when I won my my, uh, you know, like the X Division title. Like, did they? Did you know ahead of time, or did you show up to the building that day and they were like, "Hey, you're going over the, for the title"? Like, yeah, you, you kind of like know like months leading in, or you get told, and okay. you get told something a month ahead of time, and then just never. You, you never want to check up on it because like, is this true? Is this really going to happen? Cause it's pro wrestling. I assume every show I show up to, it's going to change from whatever we talked about. So I feel like until, until my music was playing that night, I wasn't certain it was going down. I just thought at any chance it's going to, it's going to change. But uh, so, I think I got wind of it maybe a month or two ahead. Okay. So the big plan was to, to get the title on you and then when you dropped it did you know ahead of time like that like a month or was it like hey surprise you know tonight you're losing the the title i was trying to get rid of it a long time <laughs> carrying had, that thing around sucks right <laughs> well it did it did for me at least i had a i had a broken back that i was unaware of and it really kind of just started to take its toll on me um maybe January or February and March, I think whatever the WrestleMania or Supercard of Honor time is when I started to feel the the most pain I've had. And it's just started escalating from there. So I I got to a point where I couldn't get out of bed and Mm -hmm. or I couldn't stand and do promos for more than like three minutes without having to take a break and like kneel down or something. I just had horrible nerve problems and I tried to get rid of the belt, but uh I got told, Hey, that's, that's not the plan. We, we, we don't want that off you. We want it on you. So I just, uh, I fought through it and I did everything I can to find a way to wrestle around it and defend the title every chance that I got. And boy, I mean, I looked tough and I, I feel, I felt a lot of pride, but what a stupid move. <laughs> I guess my question to you is why the fuck did you jip us and not show us show up in your Freddie Mercury gimmick? I mean, it's a little disappointing. Well, I didn't get paid for this. <laughs> At home, the alpacas, you know what I mean? It's like- Listen, Lars, the alpacas, they have a night routine they have to go through. I got to rub coconut oil on their feet. They don't have hooves. <laughs> Petey, Petey, they don't have hooves. Hooves. Yeah. <laughs> to get back oh. to the serious question, though, um, you were an amateur wrestler, correct? Yes, yeah, yeah, through uh, yeah, high school and college. Successful, for those that don't know, you, were, you had some success in that arena that we can call it so i mean and and i see like kind of what you do in the ring and it's it you know and, and it reminds me of like and you look like you <clears throat> background do you think that was an advantage for you going into this business even though it's obviously you know not a shoot but but do you think that having those having that experience helped you with professional wrestling in any way shape or form yeah 100 percent. just body awareness was something I was ahead of the game. And because of my athletic background, I felt I also had one of the most 
luckiest journeys into pro wrestling I think anybody could have. Uh, accidentally, it's a mix of hard work and accidentally putting myself in the right positions. When I was 15, my best friend started training to be a pro wrestler and at a local school in Rochester. And I was in high school wrestling. So I would hang out with him uh, and travel to his training sessions, just hang out. Or if I wasn't in a tournament on the weekends, I would get in the car and travel with him and other guys and end up going to a bunch of indie shows all over the place with no, no plan to be a pro wrestler. I was just going to continue and work towards being an amateur wrestler and do the best I can there. And just through osmosis, I met a bunch of people on the road. I, I learned a bunch about the, the industry of wrestling. And when I graduated college, my friends took me aside and were like, Hey, idiot, you'd be great at this. Why don't you do this? So I, I thought about it. Um, and one of the last people I talked to was uh, Larry Sweeney. I, 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 he was a friend I met through them um, just traveling. And I, I looked up to him as a pro wrestler and he said, hey, they think I should do this. And he goes, absolutely. Yeah, do this. Get in this. You would be great at it. He called me a charismatic milkshake. Ooh, that's <laughs> a good compliment. Yeah. Better than being called a hand job. Yeah. <laughs> oh, damn, Lars. So, uh, <laughs> so my friends, Colin Delaney and uh, Jimmy Olsen uh, just took me to the school in Rochester and like trained me real quick and got me going. All right. Well, I like to uh, have a follow through with that because I wanted to know about the whole persona of Dalton Castle, proud as a peacock with the you have great hair, by the way. But when you Thanks, were Matrix. Dalton Castle before the championship, it was feathered and the mistreatment of the boys. <laughs> did you create all of that yourself? How did that all come about? Uh, like a snowball rolling down a mountain, just, <laughs> just start throwing things that I, I felt was interesting. I always liked like glam rock people like, uh, David Bowie and Freddie Mercury, Justin Hawkins from the darkness and Eric Nally, I think is an incredible performer on stage and like Lady Gaga. So I would see these big performers and I would think like, Oh, how do I, why can't I just do that in wrestling? And I uh, slowly added the jumpsuit uh, and then a cape. <laughs> it was originally the first time I did it, it was with showgirls. I had three showgirls and it just didn't feel right. And when I came back, I was like, ah, I think it needs to be boys. And then like, that was, that was the missing piece of the puzzle. It was boys. <laughs> now your current, I, I don't know if it's even a current gimmick, but are you trying to pull off a little fear and loathing look going on? Because the, the, the last I, I keep watching and I really get that vibe from you and the, your promos have been so amazing. This, I tell you, the last three months of your promos, I think is the best work you've ever done. Ah, oh, thanks, man. I've come unhinged. I've stopped caring so much and stopped. I've stopped trying to like second guess myself before I was always trying to make moves of like, what's going to work? what, what do, what's going to make me to the next level. And then I just stopped caring. I'm not chasing fame anymore. I'm chasing happiness. And so that makes me feel good that you you said that it's, it's some you of the best. Tell, you can really tell in your promos and, and for the fans at home that are watching go the last three months, you're, you have that and you're pulling off this unhinged gimmick. I don't know if it's really a gimmick, but the, the, the promos, it's not a gimmick. Oh, 
<laughs> but the promos flow, and it just shows that, that your work, for whatever reason, I was a fan of yours before, but now with that fear and loathing look, it's just it's just translating very well on TV. Oh, cool, man. I, I, like, I like a blazer. I like a deep V-neck, and I generally like a, a tinted uh, aviator glasses. I'm just so lucky it looks great on me. <laughs> well, I, I'm I'm so glad you're uh, humble. Um, I want to go back to <laughs> I want to go back to the the, the amateur wrestling part. Um, I, maybe walk me through it. This is how I started in amateur wrestling. I was in high school, uh -huh. and the only reason why and maybe maybe I'm stupid. I don't know. Maybe this is absolutely like the opposite way of you did that. How you did it. He's uh, yeah, probably yeah. Um, so I was like, yeah, man, I want to do this amateur wrestling thing because I love pro wrestling and I'm like, I'm too young to be a pro wrestler. I'm like, maybe I'll do this amateur wrestling thing. And then maybe, you know, me being stupid and naive, like maybe that'll lead into something and it didn't. And I did it for like a year and I'm like, you know, like I was pretty good at it, but I was like, ah, I don't like it. The entertainment aspects, not there and stuff like that. How, did you like pro wrestling, like prior to amateur wrestling, or did you get into pro wrestling? Like like liking it after you were doing all your amateur stuff no i, I liked wrestling before but I, I knew the difference uh i'm not a dummy pd yeah i know <laughs> like i mean i obviously it was different but i'm like hey it's they're both called wrestling no it wasn't yeah i wasn't starting wrestling because i wanted to eventually be a pro wrestler that was never in okay. in the plan i i i started it because my sister had a boyfriend who i thought was cool and he was a he was a senior in high school and wrestled. And then when I got into seventh grade, my school was offering wrestling. I was like, Oh, I'm going to be like him. So I, I just got into it because of him. And then like, uh, over time just started to love it myself. And I realized I really found a spot for me, uh, outside of, I was playing soccer and organized sports or team sports didn't seem to be my thing. Wrestling was where I belonged. And, uh, it was only it what didn't even didn't even occur to me until I graduated college that pro wrestling might be the path. It, it's I, and I was stayed parallel with it almost my whole life. It's crazy. So, but you were a, a pro wrestling fan throughout the time you were an amateur wrestler as well. Yeah, I had a so I wasn't allowed to watch it in my house. I, I had to me and my brother had to find clever ways to to watch Raw and Nitro at the same time while my parents would be downstairs so we had a we, we had a staircase that you had a big like front bay bay window that like if you mm. were standing at the top of the stairs you could look down and see in the window if anybody was going to come around the corner towards the stairwell so my brother and i after we were supposed to be in bed would sit outside our parents room with the remote control in hand and watch raw we'd flip between raw and nitro on mute in their room looking through their door and looking down the stairs. And if anybody would come, we turn it off, throw the remote and dive into our bedrooms. <laughs> oh, great. Wow. And in the pay-per-views <clears throat> in sixth grade, the security, I was friends with the security guard's son. His name was Josh. And he would always record the pay-per-views on Sunday and bring them in on a VHS and give them to me on Monday. He was like the best, best guy ever. Man, it's so much. He never invited like stuff, you over like... to the house? No, 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 I wasn't allowed in. I was, I'm an outdoor kid. I'm not allowed inside. <laughs> not how it sounds like i mean this is not really my question but i it's gonna so i'm gonna i'm gonna ask for a two-parter but did you have really strict 
Like, what, were they uh, parents? I mean, were they religious or did they? No, they were great parents, which is probably why they didn't want me watching wrestling. That's probably why you're dancing around like fucking Freddie Mercury now. <laughs> 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 no, but honestly, like, you know, a lot of people go to that match between you and Cody, and I'm not sure. But like, I think the one of the first matches that I, I kind of went back to kind of look at was your, you and Liger. Oh, man. Yeah. And um, that seems to like elevate you in a way, you know, I mean, a lot of people, like I said, maybe re refer to that Cody match that, that maybe where it started, but it seems like it started there for you and Chikara. Um, what, what is your take on that? Do you feel like you got, um, I don't know, did you, did you feel like, like that was a match that like sort of set the tone for you to go to where you're at now? No, but it was, I don't know if it like, it was validating. That moment was validating. I wrestled Liger the first time in Toronto. I had just started with Ring of Honor. It was probably my th third trip with them. That wasn't in Chikara? No, I, I wish I knew like what your matches you're mixing up. I didn't wrestle in Chikara. I never wrestled maybe. as Dalton in Chikara either. Well, maybe it was Ring of Honor then. I, I don't know. It was probably Ring of Honor, but it, I definitely probably had a silly match because the boys would probably be involved, so I could get confused. <laughs> a lot of my matches don't look like they belong in Ring of Honor. <laughs> hey, Dalton, you made yourself a very popular wrestler, and I know when the free agency came up, there was interest all around. What was it that made you stay at Ring of Honor? Because me being a former baseball player, that's like some guys going to the Dodgers or the Yankees going, you know, for the, the big contract or the big marketplace. And then there's the Pittsburgh's, the Kansas City's in Major League Baseball for the smaller market. So what kept you at Ring of Honor? I think I already said it. I, I'm done chasing fame. I, I'm chasing happiness now. And Ring of Honor makes me so fucking happy it's one of the best experiences i've had in my life i sit around with the, the some of the most like-minded people i've ever been around and they all seem to be having a great time which helps me have a good time we've got great fans we've got a, a core group of people that are working their butts off that i feel like are some of the best talent in the world and they've been there like well we got the briscoes we got we got lethal uh taven is there he always keeps me grounded uh what vincent is doing right now with the with the righteous stuff is exciting me we got these young talents like brian johnson that i think are amazing jonathan gresham with the way he's puppet mastering the uh the pure division and then it's great it makes me it keeps me uh, positive. And I started thinking like, what do I, what did I want to begin with? What did I want out of wrestling when I started this? And I'm doing it. I'm traveling the world. I have an, a great audience. I've, I've got great people to work with and I'm happy. And I got to take care of these alpacas out back, which <laughs> the ring of honor schedule allows me to do that. Hey, do, no, hey they don't have booze. But they, hey, they make for good insulation, right? That's right. That's why we got to take care of them. Got to keep them happy. You don't want an alpaca sweater made from an angry alpaca. That would be miserable. Would it, would it be itchy? <laughs> you tell me. I'm never going to wear one, Dimitri. You wouldn't catch me in one of those. <laughs> Maybe get Dimitri a pair of gloves. 
You've mentioned fans a few times, and in July, Best in the World is going to open up the doors to fans. Does that put a hold? Because, listen, you've wrestled in front of tons of fans in front of Ring of Honor, but you've gone a year and a half with having to, I guess, reinvent the will with wrestling in front of no one. Now they're going to bring the fans back in. Do you feel a little bit more pressure in maybe that first show back in front of in front of, in front of the fans that you may not have felt after your 50th, you know, Ring of Honor show in July of 2018? I am so afraid that we are going to Ring of Honor is going to crumble after this first show because there will be nobody left alive. Everyone I feel like is itching to get out there and perform in front of a live audience. There's no, they're going to kill themselves. Everybody's going to be dead. That's, what are we supposed to do? We've been sitting, it's over a year now. We haven't been in front of people. Do you feel a little bit of pressure, like having to be out there? Like I would hate, I don't know if I'd hate or love to be that first match out there, but there's got to be some sort of pressure. Like, all right, first show for all these people in a year and a half, I have to deliver. I would love to be that first match. I feel like that's going to be the most electrifying moment of, of the night. It's like, it's when you pinch a hose and like it, the water stops and then you let it go. And then there's an explosion of cheers, but wet cheers. Cause it's a hose analogy. <laughs> Do you know what that's like PD wrestling in front of people? Uh, yeah. And I mean, uh, I'm assuming, you know, TNA is or impact, I should say, um, is going to be doing it again soon. But I mean, I, I'm wrestling in front of no people as well. And, you know, like the, the one good thing about that is if you, you know, when we do TV tapings, even if it's in front of a live audience and you're, it's taped, you know, and you mess up a spot, you could work back to it and do it again. Um, same thing. Like when, you know, we have no fans, except you don't have to work back to it anymore. You can just be like, all right, let's redo that. So it is going to be different. Um, you think, you think I, there's gonna be a lot of people just, all right, Roll it back, back to one <laughs> in front of the audience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, and I'm not going to give a shit. Um, but no, no, probably not, because, I mean, you know, we still – do you guys do your pay-per-views live? Yeah, so the pay-per-view, yeah. it's not live, but it's it's live to tape. They want to do as little work to it as possible. So they, I think they like to keep the practice of the let's hit the times, let's keep going. Yeah. Yeah, but so, TV is loose. Like, there's stop-downs, they change canvas, and they wipe down. Yeah. Of that, yeah, we, the same thing like in film out of order and stuff like that. Our pay per views, like Rebellion, that's live, like that's like we're streaming it right there. And it's, it's if you mess up, you mess up, it is what it is. Um, but hey, since we're on the topic of TVs and uh, TNA, uh, you were in TNA for a little bit, I wasn't there. Um, talk about your time there, like, were, were you still under contract with Ring of Honor when you did some TNA stuff? Uh, I had not. Well, first, I want to back up for a second because you just reminded me of something. Lars, I, about Liger, I just wanted to let you know, when I wrestled Liger, uh, I remember his music hitting and like just um, I was already in the ring and just turning to Bobby Cruz and going, this is the best day of my life. It was that's what a big moment that match was. And I, I imagine that's what it's like when you got to wear a chain mail with Scott Steiner. Uh, well, <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's so fucked up. He took hey. the opportunity to go back to me to insult uh, me. Yeah. That's great. That's that's like man, that's like a chess move right there. <laughs> that's, um, that's, that's good shit. <laughs> you know what was great too before I answer that question is that you know, obviously, like I was in the ring with Liger and I was marking out too. You know, like it's it's great because you know it's Liger. 
right? And with Steiner, I remember we did an angle where I had to pretend that I was a huge Steiner fan and I wanted to do all his Steiner moves. And I'm like, what are they? Okay. <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, sure. I'll do the Frankensteiner and all that. Like, I don't know. It was really weird. But anyways, uh, I don't even remember the question I asked you. Uh, oh, uh, was I? So TNA, I oh, yeah. had just done my first TV. It was the top prospect tournament for Ring of Honor. And you can tell they had no plan that I was going to be around after that because I lost first round. And uh, right after I, I did the, the tournament for Ring of Honor, I got a call to come down and just do a couple shots for TNA. It was like those one, one night, night only things. Yeah, those contractly those. obligated recordings they had to do. Yeah, those were horrible. I did a few of those too. So, uh, wow, I'm glad we don't do it. So, so Ring of, because Ring of Honor and TNA, like i mean the relationship is i would think good now but it it wasn't in the past like they they hated each other was that at the point where they were uh, on like were they okay with each other like i know well, you weren't right. yeah i'm not i wasn't in the office or anything okay. but uh it seemed i don't know i don't think they were thrilled that i was going down there but at the same time i didn't have a, a contract with yeah. ring of honor at the time so I, I was free to do what i want i don't think i was I wasn't afraid I was rubbing anybody the wrong way. Okay. I don't think I was going to get blackballed. I, I don't know. How bad was it? Tell me. Tell me the dirt. What? TNA and Ring of Honor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the uh, I wasn't there at that time. I mean, right now, the relationship is good. Like, obviously, uh, I would. I think now. that. Yeah. I, Until we're, now. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting all the heat now. Um, no, I mean, I, like, you know, in the, the, the Panda Energy, Dixie Carter era, that kind of thing, like, TNA would like rubbed everybody the wrong way. They burned so many bridges. Um, so, I mean, but now, you know, with what the Moore's doing and impact and stuff like that, obviously we're working with, why aren't we working with ring of honor right now? That's what I want to know. He said he's not in the office. He doesn't know. Yeah. I was he, listening. Yeah. He's got fucking alpacas and need their feet rubbed. You yeah. think I got time? <laughs> you don't Is that time. how they sound? They don't have hooves. <laughs> you need to protect their their skin their with some oil. Feet. They have feet. How how do you communicate with them? By rubbing. I like that. <laughs> There's no. No 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 like no, no. You're confusing. That's a horse. Well, you know <laughs> they have hooves. All on the subject of alpacas, I just want to say first off, because I haven't seen Petey in a while, talk to him. But it's really good to see you back on TV, Petey. You, you're you awesome, and Thanks. you deserve to be in that ring. So that's a side note. Um, I ingest so much wrestling to the point where, like, I've forgotten more than I remember. But my question, I guess, to you is, because there is so much out there right now, and that these companies like the aforementioned Impact, Ring of Honor, whatever, they've always been seen as, like, in the in the public view, as, like, these stepping stones to get you to – a bigger company, you know? And so now you've got all these major players, which I feel anyways, which has made wrestling better. But what for you at this point is gonna make you stay where you're at in this company, you know? And, and also, do you have any ambitions to be in a bigger company like going up north for so, so you know, for instance? As long as I'm accomplishing my goal of having fun and making money, I, I think I'll, I'll be all right. Uh, it There really needs to be something offered that Ring of Honor can't give me. 
and to even consider it now. Uh, so right now, no, my goal is just to keep kicking ass and do the best I can in this direction and have fun. Uh, so I think I'm good for now, which is a load off my back. I'm not trying to like get dirt on you. What I'm asking is, is like, what is your overall vision to where you're, where you're at now? Because it's, where do you go from here? Hmm. It's a tough thing to even consider because the, the landscape is so different right now. Right. I don't really know what to compare it to so far. It's just been empty rooms and, uh, just empty room wrestling, which is a weird, weird thing to want to look forward to going to, but the outside stuff we do these sit down production and all these promos and stuff that interests me a lot more than the actual wrestling itself because i'm not getting the same thing out of wrestling as i used to because there's no fans there so i don't look forward to it as much as i do sitting down and figuring out where's this character going or what's this promo about or how how can we help this guy uh um convey their story a little bit better on camera i so uh, yeah it's a tough one to even consider right now lars i don't know um maybe a jet pack if someone offered me that or more alpacas no no i can't handle more of those <laughs> it'd be ridiculous what's jet packers jet packers all right i'm gonna i'm gonna piggyback on what lars was talking about with the with moving, especially you being a former Ring of Honor heavyweight champion and looking back at the lineage, you look at up north and it's almost like a who's who with with um, Seth Rollins, um, Daniel Bryan, um, Kevin Owens, you know, guys like that that held that prestigious belt. And okay, Adam Cole as well in, um, in um, NXT. So along with, that leverage I'm, I'm i'm being i'm being um the devil's advocate because you know you seem very happy where you're at but i'm i'm like dangling the carrot would there be like anything because of that ring of honor you know because i've been watching it lately out here because it's finally coming out out here and i'm getting the gist of the whole history of ring of honor and shaking the hands before and after the match and then for the peer style you know so you definitely have a place in history. So if they dangle that carrot, especially because you had that belt, what you gonna do? We'll cross that bridge when we get to it, Dimitri. <laughs> I'm gonna change directions here, guys. Dalton, you uh, you used to do radio, and I'm a guy who used to have a radio show myself. And then I started getting into podcasting after I got burnt out on doing fantasy football radio. And then for the longest time, I thought, I'm doing a podcast. I feel like it's a step below where I was. What what got you into radio? Was it like a love, a passion? And do you feel like maybe your wrestling background helped you become a better DJ? Or did being a DJ help you become a better promo in wrestling? Mm. So I had a broadcast degree. And there wasn't a whole lot of options in Rochester, New York to do something with that. It was either work in the news or get a job in radio. So I uh, started off hanging banners, doing promotions and just being as a, as I've quoted earlier, a charismatic milkshake. Someone took notice at how I, I was handling people 
our listeners when they would come to the studios for uh, private sessions. And I got offered a, a job on air kind of quick, which um, was fun because I, I it was like, oh, great. Now I have a job and it's not doesn't feel like a job. And not shortly after that is when I started training to be a pro wrestler. So I was kind of building both at the same time. I would say radio DJing helped me be a better promo. It made me more comfortable in front of a crowd. I had chances to uh, get on stage and introduce bands in in front of like 17,000 people. A a number of times I got to be in front of large crowds and learn to get comfortable holding a microphone and talking to people when they really just want to see corn. That's all they wanted to see. But I'm here with a microphone and a station shirt, just wasting their time. So like I got a tough skin too, built up that way. And I thought it gave me like a, a bit of a hook that I could continue to tell them I'm a, I'm a wrestler too. <laughs> so uh, how'd you get, I know you talked about the top prospect tournament. Like that's how you debuted with ring of honor. Uh, how, how'd you get like your foot in the door there? Like, did you send in a tape or a oh, Bobby fish? Whatever? Bobby fish would probably be oh, okay. my number one connection. So him and I were good buddies. We would travel. Uh, when I moved to Albany, we started traveling together a lot and any chance that I had, I had a weekend open or anything. I would, I would get in the car with him and go to whatever ring of honor show he was on and try to just show face that way. And yeah, I did. I did the tryout camps. I did two of them and it, wasn't until after the second one is when I presented the character that you kind of see today. I, I'm burping. I'm sorry, guys. I'm back up. Oh, we can't smell it from here. Yeah, that's okay. good. <laughs> I, felt, I felt like on the screen you could see me having like a, a, a heart attack, but I'm really just fighting gas. Well, it's that alpaca milk that you're did, did, um <laughs> It's rich in protein, but boy, does it come at a cost. Yeah, and you're trying to hide it in a red stripe bottle. You're not fooling anybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so pack my, of gold. Yeah. <laughs> my question is this: you know, there, there's been a lot of extravagant characters in professional wrestling. The one that I would obviously go to immediately with what you do is exotic Adrian Street. Um, except for you got guys, and which I think is actually even the it's like you said, it's the way better move. It's 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 genius. How do you ever it's, go back? What was that? I said, thanks. <laughs> well, you know, I just credit where credit is due. Do you go back and do you look at some of those older matches, maybe some of his, or who do you go back to? Is it like, I know you probably, you know, from your age, it probably was like Macho Man or something like that. But do you ever go back and watch that earlier stuff? Uh, I did. I did kind of early on was people started relating me to these, uh, these, legends of the past like adrian street and uh, another one jimmy garvin i got referred to a lot so i when i was first kind of starting i would go back and watch a lot of their stuff and uh i don't i don't think i applied a lot what i saw because i I mean i was looking what i'm looking at is wrestling moves at that point i'm not watching it through the, the right eyes i so i would more watch performers and the music world i think i'm stealing a lot more from that and um elaborate characters in movies well let me just piggyback on that do you think that the psychology is kind of more what i'm after here Mm -hmm. you know and you that's what you're kind of talking about i think 
So are you saying like the psychology of a, of a rock performer over the, the wrestling performer? Right, yeah, because those characters, the exotic world, um, I think in the past they would use that kind of lifestyle or presentation to freak out the audience to because it was bizarre and something they haven't seen. Like it was... Um, sexuality was kind of like a weapon to them. And I don't think I'm bringing something to the table that's making someone queasy or, or, or cringe. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to entertain and be a big presence. So the psychology, it's the look is the same, but I think, I think it's switched a little bit because Dalton's the good guy. When I came on board, he wasn't the bad guy. The boys weren't something people uh, were supposed to be booed at. You still love them. It was only until I was starting to get some steam where I wrestled in deep south uh, Tennessee where, uh, where I realized, oh, I don't think everybody's on board with this. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my God. What a nightmare. That was an eye-opening moment wrestling in a barn as a, a row of children calling me the F word. <laughs> and I just freeze and I look behind them and their parents are doing it too. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like my house. <laughs> hey, Dalton, um, who, who, who is your mentor? Who is the guy that showed you the way? Um, so many. I've had, like I said, one of the luckiest journeys into pro wrestling where I've got to spend time with these minds of talented performers that I I shouldn't have met before I was wrestling, but I got to. I got to uh, hang out with Brody Lee was somebody I came up with. Um, Colin Delaney, he was another guy who uh, did very well from our area. And I got, oh man, I got to meet Dreamer along the way and he had a lot of advice. One of the things like he would say is I would come through I, I dressed really crazy. I, I didn't really have a defined look or know who Dalton was, but I acted the same. And he said, one of the problems is when I come through the curtain, I, I like, I like you, but I don't know what I'm looking at. So um, I, w I wish I could narrow it down to one person, but there's just so many other people that had like a hand in helping me along the way, either they know it or not. Oh, that's fine. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we got time for one more question apiece, and I have a question and one more compliment for you. I'll start with the compliment. Well, you can come out with more than just one if you got it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> rationing them out, so it doesn't. So it feels like I have more than I actually do for you. So <laughs> just just take them in bits and pieces and let it feel bigger as the show goes on. But uh, my one compliment is I'm a huge Joe Henry fan, and that promo you and him cut where uh, you, somehow you both were on each other's Zoom and you didn't figure out how it went, that might have been the most genius thing I've seen in the COVID-era wrestling that really entertained ah. me. Yeah, it, it was dumb. It was great. It was entertaining. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that was a, an afternoon. I was just talking to him, and I was like, hey, I'm going to send you a script. Let's do it. And he's like, oh, all right, cool. If, if, they have, if people have not out there seen it, Go look that up because it is so funny, and I'm not giving you any more fans out there of what that video is about. But my question now is: Hold on, can we talk about how big Joe Hendry's getting in Scotland as he's trapped over there? He's wow. like 350 pounds. 
Yes, I saw that. I don't. <laughs> I thought I was the only one. I was like, uh. The uh, world is in so much trouble when yeah. I get my Joe Henry back. Oh my God. I'm going to sick him on everybody. I'm going to ride him to the ring and he's going to walk through it. He's, he's going to awake. He's going to walk through the wall like the Kool Aid, man. It's going to be awesome. Oh, man. I'm a huge Joe Henry fan. Uh, I got to meet him a few times during the Impact tapings when he was there. And uh, we became very friendly, and I'm I'm a huge fan of his. So to see you two doing something was was one of those best of both worlds for me. But now my question: How much thought do you put into the evolution of the Dalton Castle character as as it progresses? Now you get older, you can do things. You you're you're healed from a back injury. You may not be able to do all the things you did when you were younger. What what thought process do you think about the Dalton Castle? two years from now where you want to take them, how it happens. No, I don't think that far in advance. I'm now thinking, uh, what's, I don't know. I, Cause we, I, we have such a stretched out schedule. It's I found the more I obsess about something early, the more I don't do it. So I try to get a little bit of thought of what, what I've got coming up. And then, uh, as like I get maybe a week or two out, then I'll start really, putting in the work and committing to an idea. Uh, so trying to figure out where I'm going to be a year from now is it's yeah, that's, that's a tall order for somebody who, who's so distracted by alpacas out back. Can I ask one more follow-up question? And are you kind of like a Chris Jericho where once you're done with a version of that gimmick, you don't. Yes. Wild. I'm wildly successful and rich, <laughs> just like Chris Jericho. I, I thought that. I mean, I look at your refrigerator and that looks like a pure stainless steel refrigerator that, you know, poor people don't have a refrigerator like No, that. not like this. No. They can't pot put a bear on it. Yeah, look at the pot lights behind you. Those are fine pot lights. Yeah. This is a rental property. <laughs> <laughs> but but do you do you once you leave a gimmick, are you more than happy to go back to it or do you feel like, you know, you just want to keep progressing forward? Okay, yeah, I did hold on to it. I think for a while uh, there was the fear of um, I knew I knew something had to change. Like when we dropped the the boys, Brent and Brandon, at, at Madison Square Garden, and that was that was a um, a desperation move to do it that quick. I knew eventually we were going to lose the boys, um, and then when we found out what the plan was for MSG uh, last minute. I, I thought, well, we got to give them something more memorable or we got to do something big here. And it didn't go the way I wanted it. Uh, I didn't like what happened after I separated from the boys. I don't think there was a real uh, worthwhile story they were telling. There was, there was no plan. It was just kind of lost. And I felt mm. a little bit... Um, I felt like I kind of wanted to go back to what I was doing just because I didn't, I didn't have anything planned in front of me. So the panic starts setting and I was like, should I just go back to doing what I was doing before? Cause that was working. And uh, thankfully I got out of that rut and built the confidence in myself again, to keep moving forward with something new. And the, what I'm doing right now feels comfortable and it feels right. And I, I hope it's working or hope it starts working when we get fans back. Um, so I don't, I don't know if I'm done. I'm sure you'll see me 
dress the same way again, just maybe a little tweaked. I get bored easily, but I don't, I don't quit on things. Is that an answer? That yeah, wasn't an answer. That's a great answer, actually. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna have to disagree. I thought that was long-winded and terrible. Frederick, <laughs> <laughs> <Dude. everybody>. well, <laughs> he's the only one telling the truth. Well, I, on the other hand, I don't get bored easily. I've been doing the same gimmick for 17 years, so I mean, whatever. Uh, <laughs> no, so fresh. you're such a big fan of fucking Steiner. That's <laughs> yeah, you're a huge Big Papa Pump fan. Look that's at you. Right. I mean, Big Papa Petey. Um, speaking of awesome matches that I've had with Scott Steiner. Um, so I, I want to do a fun question for this last one of mine. Uh, what would you say are like your, your favorite matches that you would put up against like any other matches? I know some people are like, Hey, they'll look them up to me like Dalton. My favorite match of yours is, and then they'll name a match. But what are your favorite matches? Well, all right. My match with Matt Taven at Hammerstein Ballroom. The, my matches, right? Your matches, yes. Okay. I was that you competed in. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're just asking, what's your favorite wrestling match? And they're all with me. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. Stone Cold who? Yeah. <laughs> uh, matches. So I wrestled Taven uh, at ha the Hammerstein Ballroom at Final Battle one year, and it was one of my favorite matches because if it was – it was really my moment to test myself to see if I could wrestle again after the back injury. And I felt like that was the first night where I was back, where every, I was, I was on, I was ready to go. The energy was there. Uh, and we <laughs> beat the crap out of each other. I let him jump over me like free Willie at the end. And he landed on some guardrails with his chest. Um, the the match from Supercard of Honor, I wrestled Marty Skrull in the main event. And at the time, it was the largest crowd Ring of Honor had had to that date. And there was a lot of a lot of argument leading into that show of who was supposed to headline that mat uh, that Ooh. show. And I didn't have a whole lot of support from some people that don't hang out in ring of honor anymore about letting me the world champion headline the show and having that kind of um what's the word i'm looking for here i didn't uh, really have a whole lot of support yeah uphill yeah. battle yeah so going in there with very little confidence and then having a broken back and breaking my hand in the middle of the match i felt like um no, no i take that back i had confidence in me I didn't have a lot of people confident in me yeah. and I felt like it, my job job was to go out there and to prove everybody wrong and shut them up. And <laughs> I broke my hand. I had a broken back and we had a, I felt like a great match. I had a, a very, very proud moment that night. And so that's another one I keep up there. Awesome. Good. Well, Lars, Lars, let, let, let me take this question. You get the last question because yours are always deep. <laughs> <laughs> My question is, are you uh, planning on having a stable? Are you in a stable or are you like to be the lone wolf? Well, I'm, I'm the front man of the band. So either it's a solo show or I'm the leader. I, I don't know. I, I do like an entourage or an ensemble because I feel like everything I do, I look at this as, all right, 
here's the thing. I'm slowly trying to trick the wrestling world into watching a Broadway musical when I come out. So the more people I have on stage with me, the easier it is for me to accomplish that goal. And that's so stable would be nice. There's more, there's more characters. I could totally see. Hold on. I got that. I have to say something. All right. Speaking of tricking people into watching something that isn't wrestling uh, back in like, I don't know, early 2000s, Ted DiBiase used to do a tour uh, his, his Christian <laughs> church tour. Are you, do you know what I'm going to say? I, I, I have a feeling where it's going. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, and he'd have everybody on the show, like Shawn Michaels before he came back staying. And then I, I was always in a ladder match. I would always win the belt off of this guy named Johnny Ova. And he'd only have five matches on the show, but then at the end, it would be something where DiBiase is trying to buy somebody, you know, cause whatever that's evil and stuff. And then there'd be a sea of like 3000 people and they watch this main event match, you know, and like this, this big, you know, uh, stings hanging on a cross and Shawn Michaels comes and super kicks everybody and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden fans are watching and now they're watching a sermon. They're, they're watching church go on 20 minutes have passed. And they're like, I think, I think the wrestling. Uh, so, <laughs> You know, that's how DiBiase would trick people into his church service. Not there's anything wrong with that, but I could see you doing like, hey, I'm going to trick people into a Broadway show. It's like, hey, I thought the wrestling show lasted like it ended a long time ago. You guys want to see a cage match? (laughs) And then a pit orchestra raises from the ground. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. Anyway. I never knew that. That is an amazing story of a traveling wrestling show to lure people into to church yes so anyways use that for what it's worth um, but did you, you say know, with your Broadway. Was on the cross yeah yeah they even put sting on a cross and what the- this is real this is what it was in detroit man it, it was in detroit and i was there and i watched it and Shawn michaels super kicked the shit out of all the bad guys and got sting off the cross and it was <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. There's no video of this anywhere. Oh, dude, it's like early 2000s. Like, I don't even know if they had video. Are they playing the same card every show? Was Sting on a cross every night? No. So we would. uh, (laughs) Him and Shawn Michaels would alternate. No, that was the only one where where Shawn was on the show. I think Sting was on another one. It was always something where Ted would like use his money like in a demon demonic sort of way to like buy somebody's soul i i don't know but he would tour but like you know some of the times it was like you know brutus beefcake uh greg valentine whoever he would get for the show whoever he could whoever fit the cross yes exactly (laughs) you're too big to be on the cross let's put you on the cross all i know (laughs) after this my next fucking band is going to be sting on the cross Sting on the cross. <laughs> can I can I open with a with a yeah. little sermon? Yeah, and that's another question. If you're the lead singer of the band, do you always got fucking drama with your girlfriend then too? And is she like a Yoko Ono? And it, you- dude, the way she keeps telling me I need to sell these alpaca before the stock drops. Yeah, it's like you forget, you know, to bring your herpes medication on the road, so she comes out. Oh, and- flare up. Sorry. But anyways, my last. You know they have they have pharmacies on the road. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> There's no excuse for that. I want to get he goes. Uh, this is not going to be a fun question. So, um, <laughs> or maybe it will be for a fun <laughs> podcast. So I'm going to get deep. You shush, Dennis. Is my time. 
So with now we got, you know, all these promotions working together and I'm pretty sure, you know, Ring of Honor has a history of that as well with the cross promotional stuff. But now you've got it like, you know, sort of out in everybody's face. The wall has been torn down. Now, do you have any like wishes like, oh man, I hope they kind of get involved with this. That's one part of the question. The second part of the question would be who in the other companies right now, who you would like, which guy in particular would you like to get in the ring with and have a match with that you haven't yet? Petey Williams. Hell yeah, man. Never wrestled him. I want to take that destroyer, double it up, do two of them. Uh, I, I don't know. I love the idea that everybody's kind of cross-promoting. I think whatever gets more eyes on each other's shows is better for everybody because now we're in a world where um, we don't have to choose. You don't have to set your VCR anymore. Everyone can watch everybody's stuff. And if, if they don't know they exist, they might not ever check it out. So this, this fourth wall or the forbidden door stuff is great. It's, it's wonderful for pro wrestling because all these people are getting exposed to audiences that never even knew they existed. Uh, that being said, I have no idea what storylines are going on. I, uh, I'm very busy with my acrylic paint in the back, so I have <laughs> no idea. Um, but I, I want to fight P- Petey. Okay. Uh, I will fight you too. I want to. <laughs> I Jay White is somebody I've, I've always wanted to Hang wrestle. Second, if you want to fight Petey, number one, who's going to produce it, and who's going over? Well, it's going to go to a, a obviously a duet draw where we yeah, end up Broadway. singing. We mm-hmm. sing all the way back. And well, I'm how, on the. Can I be on the cross? Well, how does how does Blink. Chris are on the cross? Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> how does I'm Petey, too big for that. <laughs> in 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 the musical, how does Petey incorporate the Steiner line and the Frankensteiner in the show? Vision. <laughs> well, I think I think he goes for the Frankensteiner and mid flip switches it, and then Steiner line. Steiner line. Uh, but first he has to do like the jet snap on the way over to give it to you. Yeah. And then my sharks come flying up yeah. and do s- dance kicks into his chest. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Take that hair chain off his head. Okay. Now more interesting. Now, if I remember correctly, big Papa pump had a lot of ladies with them. Mm. Right. You got the boys. Oh man. So oh. maybe we're talking, I don't know. I mean, I, I can see something happening here. Because Petey can revive, you know, he Petey's a good looking guy. He's Thanks. he's probably the best shape of all in, uh, of all the guys. Get, get those swinger ladies. Yeah. In the person, he's not that good looking. The swingerellas. I sent yes. you a picture of, but what uh, we can't give that out because that doesn't air for weeks. But what are the um, swingerellas? Uh, that's Johnny Swingers uh, ladies that he has with him at Swingers Palace where we place all the bets and pretty much make all the matches and storylines at Impact. <laughs> so he has Swingerellas. That's what they're called. And there's a new one coming in a couple of weeks. I don't want to give anything away, though. Do it off air. Yeah, I'll do it off air. Well, anyways, but Dalton, I just want to say you're probably the funnest. Yeah. Well, maybe the second funnest guest we've ever had. Who is it's been a well, come on. You know, I was I was on the show before him. Oh, that is true. <laughs> I mean, do you keep that title when you end up hosting? I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> no, but honestly, buddy, it's been awesome to get to know you. Yeah. Oh, thanks so much. It's great. And I was blown away when I knew I was gonna be on the show with you, and I was thrilled. And I 
honestly, I can't believe I didn't cross paths with you earlier in my career in radio, which is wild. I played your music a lot. Much respect, brother. Much respect. Well, for everybody at home, the show's over. We'll say our goodbyes and geek out over each other off the air. Uh, Dalton, where can people find you? What do you want to promote real quick? Uh, I've got, oh, man. Um, I'll promote my friend's podcast. He's got a, a, a movie podcast about Tom Cruise. It's called Night Cruising. Uh, oh, my God. I've seen that. I like that. Watch. You yeah, listen to that. Ago. Yeah, yeah, I did one of their episodes, so I promote that. And you can follow me on Twitter at None of Your Goddamn Business. <laughs> and also, don't forget to uh, at uh, Bre- uh, Dalton at breedingalpacas.com. No, no, no. I'm just fostering them. I'm not trained to breed them. I'm not Shit, I've alpaca seen semen. Name, I've seen your name in the black market alpaca trade, bro. Don't fucking <laughs> try to get me blackballed from the game. <laughs> it's going to be sweater season in like four months. <laughs> Fuck. This, this is where I make up. my money. Wrestling doesn't pay shit. <laughs> all right listen we're done we're gonna say our goodbyes off the air thank you so much everybody for watching and we'll talk to you guys later